0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Ian Harditz, and today we are on to the playoffs, people—not the fantasy football playoffs, the actual, real-life playoffs. Long season, 17 weeks. 17 weeks down, but we are still here, breaking down everything you need to know. Quite uh, just slightly different format, I should say, uh, this week compared to you know some of our previous breakdowns because there's only six games. Want to get a little more in depth? Why not? So, uh, Joy McFarland, you guys have heard before. We will be going through what offense, what each offense is best at, what best, what. Each Defense is worst at, and also DFS thoughts as well as a game prediction. So slightly different format, same great minds. Dwayne, thanks for coming on again, man. Happy wild card. Yeah, man, excited to be on yes sir yes sir so with that we will get right to it. everybody we got the colts at the bills first matchup on saturday remember three on saturday three on sunday bills open as seven point favorites down slightly to six and a half game total 52 and a half down to 51 so looking at the colts i mean the offensive line is what really makes this offense run it was pff's number one ranked unit in the preseason ultimately finished third in both pff team run blocking grade and pressure rate what hurts left tackle anthony costanzo has been done for the season since week 15 with an ankle injury so you know we've seen Jonathan Taylor and these guys come on strong. I'm not saying he won't keep it up. The guy has truly been playing much better football. It's not just the, you know, week schedule they've been going through. They've had the Jaguars Steelers tough matchup, but then Texans Raiders Texans since week 13, but truly you look at Taylor's broken tackle numbers. I think he'll be fine, but just realize without Constanzo, they're not quite the same monster that we were seeing earlier in the year. Rivers, you know, he's excellent not getting things right, but again, not quite at 100% like you would like your best unit on the offense to be. Dwayne, what are the Bills trying to do on offense
1: yeah man the bills want to pass and pass some more amazingly you know after what we you know had seen the previous two years where they really tried to protect Josh Allen more I mean and give Josh Allen credit I mean the guy I don't know about you Ian I've never seen anybody come this far like since their rookie season and two seasons like in their passing accuracy I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, what Josh Allen's been able to do. So, I mean, they want to throw the ball. What's going to be really interesting, I think, in this game, Ian, is if you look at Josh Allen's splits you know there's still a, t- a story that a lot of folks don't talk about you know a lot and that's really his man versus zone splits so if you think about Josh you know Allen's totals on the season and this is taking all plays into consideration even even ones with penalties it just gives us even a little bit bigger of a sample size but he had uh, 414 completions for 4718 yards 37 touchdowns and 13 picks 18 of those touchdowns and 3 of those picks came against man but whenever you take away, um, you know, the man coverage, and especially cover one, he's really, really good at beating cover one, especially with Stefan Diggs. That's his main guy whenever they're in man. Diggs' target rate shoots up to almost 40% anytime they're facing a cover one defense. So that's, that's always great for Diggs. But if you look at those situations where, you know, they're not in man and they're in zone, so here are his splits. 1,943 yards, three touchdowns, and nine picks. Well, guess what the Colts really love to do? Uh-oh. The Colts run the second most zone in the entire NFL. Now, they haven't been great down the stretch, right? They've had some teams really burn them. The Colts probably, you know, if you look at the early season stats, you know, they benefited from some pretty easy matchups. They were also healthier. You know, they're a little bit banged up, you know, across their defense right now. Um, but that's going to be the interesting thing for me is just looking and seeing because they run a ton of cover three, ton of cover three scene. They, they even throw some cover six out there. So they don't mix it up as much as like, say, the Rams do, who also run a ton of zone, but are probably, I would say, are the best zone team in the league. Actually, they're probably the best, you know, passing defense in the league. Yeah. Heck, we might just say they're the best – We'll get to them in a minute. <laughs> they're probably the best defense heading in the playoffs. But it, that's going to be the interesting thing for me. I want to see because this year, for whatever reasons, teams just haven't forced Allen to face, you know, a lot of zone. He's been able to, you know, throw a lot against, you know, man coverage. They added Stefan Diggs. So that was huge. Um, so that's that's really what I'm looking for, Ian. I want to see, you know, how does Josh Allen look against a zone defense that, that's pretty much what they're gonna
0: throw at him all day long great points and transitioning a little bit to how these defenses are going to be attacking the offenses I will be you know wild to see that because Josh Allen he should have time in this one because the Colts are good at a lot of things but pressure creating havoc is one of those things that they struggle at a little bit more uh, looking at you know just their overall uh, just team chemistry this year and what they've been able to do you know look they have two fantastic players Darius Leonard PFS number eight highest graded linebacker and defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, Buckner our number three rated interior defender but man they're just missing that one great pass rusher I mean only 21st impression rate Seahawks Packers Titans are the only worse uh, playoff teams and again Josh Allen he holds the ball and it usually works out just fine I mean truly this guy will come to a complete standstill in the pocket sometimes it's honestly wild to watch 23 passing touchdowns when taking at least two and a half seconds to throw tied with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson it's not necessarily a bad thing when Josh Allen holds the ball he's able to get away and the Colts I'm not sure if they do have defensive firepower to completely re- uh, wreak havoc and get in the backfield so that's going to be the story of the game I feel like because the Bills to your point they don't like to they don't like to run the ball they're probably not gonna be able to have much succession on the ball against this Colts front anyway can Josh Allen overcome his zone splits with with probably having enough time to throw so if the offensive line doesn't hold up that's when we're really gonna be in trouble because again Colts defense good at a lot of things getting after the quarterback not so much Dwayne where do you think this Colts defense might look a Colts offense excuse me might look to attack Buffalo
1: yeah I think you know if if I'm looking at the Colts offense you know coming at Buffalo um, you know I think Buffalo, you know, they're, they're decent at both spots, you know, but they're not great, you know? So, I mean, I think if I'm the Colts, you know, I'm going to come out and try to run the ball. I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about really where the strength is. I think whenever the Colts set up the running game and they get their play action going, that's when they're the most dangerous. And you already covered, you know, the fact that Costanza's out. Um, but if you look at what they did last week, you know, with Taylor, now that was against, you know, a sieve defense, you know, in the Jaguars, um, you know, with Taylor hitting over 200 yards, But I think that's going to be the key. You know, they don't want to just sit back there. They don't want to be in a situation where, you know, it's predictable, right, that Rivers is going to throw all the time. Now, the Colts, obviously, they throw more than they run, but they really just want to set up the play-action pass. That opens up some of the things down the field because the Bills' secondary is good, right? You're probably going to have um, Tredavious White, you know, we don't know that he'll shadow, but he's going to see plenty of T.Y. Hilton, you know, who ha- who has been a threat down the stretch, who has been able to score some touchdowns. He's been able to make some big plays. So expect to see plenty, you know, of Tredavious White on, you know, um, T.Y. Hilton. So I, I think from that standpoint, you know, you're going to have to look at the other elements, you know, of your offense. You know, Zach Pascal has come through lately. You know, Michael Pittman has come through lately. Um, well, Pittman, not so much here over the last few weeks, but, you know, they've got you know, they're really more of a committee offense anyway. Right. They spread the ball around a ton and I think that'll work out, you know, for them against the bills. I expect this to be a high scoring game, you know, that set at 52 points, I believe with Buffalo favored by six and a half. Um, like if I had to bet something, you know, on this, like I don't feel real great about any of these games, like, you know, in the regular season, it's easier to find games that you like to, to pick, but I mean, I'm betting Indy to cover, but I think that the over is probably in play.
0: Yeah, it's, this one certainly looks like the matchup between, you know, this one or Ravens Titans, you know, one of these two, you got offense on both sides of the ball, it can really instill the will only issue would be, you know, can Buffalo run the ball. But again, they don't even try to do it that often anyway. So I think they yeah. will be fine. Uh, some quick DFS notes. I'm going to cover the Colts here. So looking at these running backs, Jonathan Taylor's at 7,900, Naeem Hines at 4,700. I am not against potentially fading Jonathan Taylor here because I know the Bills have a quote-unquote bad run defense, but you look at some of these games where they've really been teed off on, you know, Clyde uh, Edwards-Alaire, namely. And the Bills, they're just one of these teams that they're so smart in everything they do, offense and defense. They understand what they should be doing in the year 2020, and that is devoting extra resources to your pass defense. So, yes, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they could not slow him down because they were trying to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. So I just think that, you know, looking at – Jonathan Taylor in this run game. That is the focus. That's who they're trying to stop. I would not be shocked if we actually see Naeem Hines potentially featured a little bit more than we're expecting. This year, the Colts have the fifth best offense in yards per attempt, two targets out of the backfield. Bills are surrendering the third highest yards per attempt, two targets lined up in the backfield. So, you know, only the Broncos and Rams have faced fewer run plays with A-plus defenders in the box than the Bills. They have usually invited teams to run the ball on them. I I think that's been a conscious choice, and I think when they face an offense like the Colts, who are going to be trying to bang the rock, you know, we're going to see them put more defenders in there to try to slow that down. So I think, you know, sometimes these bad run defenses are a little bit overstated. I think that's what we have with the Bills. They've been playing better overall recently. Look, I think old man Rivers, he's good enough to get them. Whatever the defense wants them to do would not be shot if we see more of a pass-happy approach after the Bills declare that they are finally going to try to take away the run. So, you know, if you want to fade off Jonathan Taylor, I think David Montgomery gives you a similar touch count. Tougher matchup, Naeem Hines is much cheaper. Just saying, you know, you try and go on one of these GPPs, weird things can happen and it still isn't completely the Jonathan Taylor show. Hines, particularly if the Bills are able to build a lead, will be very involved. Dwayne, Dwayne, what are you looking at early in the week with the Bills?
1: Yeah, man, I mean, as far as the Bills go, you know, the running game is really hard to even look at. It's like you said, (laughs) they don't run the ball a ton, um, you know, and then they split it up. You know, between the two guys, you know, Singletary gets a little bit more of the passing work. You know, you're going to see more of Zach Moss on the running play. Zach Moss does get the carries inside the five. So, if you're looking for like a cheap touchdown, you know, out of a running back, you know, I'm looking at DraftKings right now. So for the Bills, they've got Moss at 4600. They've got Singletary at 4300. I mean, those don't get you, you know, super excited though. Whenever you think about some of the other running backs that are on the slate, so I mean, obviously you're looking at Stefan Diggs. You're going to have to keep an eye. You know, he's, he's um, questionable right now with an ob- with an oblique. Um, he was questionable the week before, you know, where he had got dinged at the end of week, um, 16. So just keep an eye on digs on the injury report. Um, but if they're playing a ton of zone, um, that does bring down, you know, typically in those games, Diggs hasn't played as well as he has whenever he's faced a lot of man, which makes sense, right? We just talked about how well Josh Allen had done against man, especially cover one and how often he went to digs against zone. They spread the ball around a little bit more and they haven't scored as many touchdowns. Um, so, Again, this is not me saying don't play digs, but just, you know, keep it within reason. I don't think, you know, we're going to see some of these games like we have here recently, you know, where he's getting 10, 11 and 12 receptions. Um, you know, and having a chance at 150 yards and two touchdowns, I think he could still get to eight or nine catches, you know, and get to hundred yards. But I think you're going to be, you know, lucky if you get a touchdown plus that with digs. I mean, obviously he's going to be one of the best players on the field, but just, again, it kind of goes back to where we were with, you know, with Allen, you know, and what he's had with zone. I mean, kind of think back to those splits again and not, not, and the Colts are going to have to They'll play some man coverage. Right. So basically it's one of those deals where people don't realize like how, like small like the margins are on these things of you getting something right for DFS versus getting something wrong. So say they, they don't run cover one really that often, like they run cover one, you know, less than most of the teams in all the NFL. But if Josh Allen drops back on one of those plays and happens to see Diggs, right, has the matchup he wants, is that all, that's all it takes is that one play, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, I look like an idiot. It's go, oh man, McFarland said, don't play him because of all the zone. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, well, one of the three plays they ran cover one, you know, he torched his corner. So again, don't, don't be completely afraid of Diggs, but I would just put a little bit of a cap on his expectations. You know, if you're playing the three game slate on Saturday, you know, it's a, uh, Uh, He's the highest price receiver, you know, on the slate and deservedly. So Um, it's going to be tough though. And I know we'll get to the rest of the teams later, but there's a lot of tough matchups, right? You're going to talk about um, Seattle here versus, you know, um, the Rams, you know, corners and secondary, you're going to talk about Tampa Bay here in a minute against Washington. Um, Tampa Bay's even got some decent, decent players, you know, in the secondary. So um, if you're playing the three game slate, you know, it's probably going to be hard to get away from digs, but I think it is a way that you could say, I'm going to get contrarian because he's probably going to be in 60 to 70% of lineups, I would guess, you know, and that is a way that you could get, you know, um, away from being, you know, just chalk completely. And I think there is some rationale to it. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but there is a good thought process behind
0: it. Yeah, one guy we haven't talked about is uh Cole Beasley did not practice on Tuesday with a knee injury, yeah. which puts him on the wrong side of questionable. You take away Josh Allen's safety valve against a tougher scheme defense than he's used to playing. I think losing Cole Beasley is gonna be worse for Stefan Diggs, whereas if he could just be out there, take away a little bit of attention. So that takes us to the game predictions. And you already kind of spoiled yours a little bit, Dwayne, but I'm right there with you, man. I think six and a half points for Indy is far too many. I'm gonna go ahead and take the Colts. I you know, I think the Bills will advance and will win this game, but you know, their defense is good. But I think we've seen enough efficiency from both this Colts run game and the pass game. and think they're going to be able to move the ball regardless of where the Bills want to try to stack their chips. And, yeah, you know, the Colts are going to make it tough to run against the Bills. But you know what? Josh Allen zone, man, whatever. We've seen enough from this guy throughout the year that, you know, I just think you can put, the, put it together enough to come away with the win. But, man, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I like a lot of these underdogs this week. I'm curious to see where uh, we both end up on that. But you're going with Colts uh, six and a half as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I th- I'm, I'm with you. I think the Bills are going to win the game. You know, I'd put them in the 65-35 range to win the game. I just think six and a half is too much given the splits with Allen against, uh, you know, the zone coverage, which is not something that just is this year right that goes back a couple of years you know so despite all the improvements Allen has made which he's made a ton right and he's looked really good I think this is one last hurdle that he's got to get over Um, and I just think that the Colts have been good on offense as well and like you said you know going with Jonathan Taylor and just the things he's been able to do that they're just able to bring balance you know and so I think that makes it tough you know against the opposing defense so I think six and a half is just too much.
0: Moving on to the Saturday afternoon game, we got the Rams at the Seahawks, Seattle's four-point favorites game, total 42 and a half, up to 43. So, looking at this Rams offense, we're not sure if it's going to be Wolford or Jared Goff. Earlier weeks on, or, I mean, excuse me, earlier reports on Monday were indicating that it's going to be really tough for Goff to play. We did see him come out, get a limited practice since Saturday with a thumb injury, but we'll see what happens. Hey, if he's out of the picture, you know, John Wolford at least looked competent enough in that game last week. I'm, I've already had a lot of people in the mentions saying, oh, could the Rams be better off without golf chill out you know we still have not seen Wolford actually lead a touchdown drive don't forget you know the Rams got that Troy Hill pick six last week to uh, find the end zone so I wouldn't go quite that far I would just say you know it could help them uh, you know to have a scrambling threat under center because we have seen golf just have some of these games where we cannot move the ball at all and hey I think Wolford in a run first attack can be okay in this offense because don't look now but pretty much the best part of this Rams offense all year has been their offensive line which is shocking to me because this O-line 2017-2018 can this team, Todd Gurley, CJ Anderson, didn't matter. They were putting up historic numbers in terms of how good they were. Now they might be getting Andrew Whitworth back. I and mean, even though they didn't address the position last offseason, which is why I was pretty off on the Rams as a whole this year, guess what? It didn't matter because Sean McVay is so much smarter than any of us or you listeners out there will ever be about football. So good for them. They'd end the year six ranked offensive line yards before contact per attempt, even though they were cycling through running backs, quarterback issues, didn't have a field stretcher, didn't matter. They got the job done. 13th in pressure rate, even though golf was a below average time to throw. Look, man, I, again, I did not see this offensive line being this good, but credit to the coaching staff, credit to those offensive linemen for getting the job done. And they're going to need to lean on that group to have any success against the Seahawks. Because even if Walford is a slight, you know, if you want to go that far, which I would not, but if you want to say Walford is better, you know, for business being back there, I mean, come on, it's going to be a run first attack. You're going to need to lean on those big ugly. So I know we've, you know, talked about the Seahawks secondary all year being their issue. I still think for the Rams to win this game on all Offense, they're going to need to control the line of scrimmage, and they might just have the big uglies to do it. Dwayne, it's been a tale of two seasons for the Seahawks offense. Came in uh, looking like you know, I'll let Russ cook, and things are going great. Hasn't been so hot lately, though. What are you expecting going the wild card round?
1: Yeah, so I really dug into this just for the show because it's something I'd been thinking about anyway all season and I hadn't had time. And so I had two major questions on my mind. One, how did Josh Allen improve so much? And number two, what happened in the tell of two seasons for Seattle? And you gave me those two teams right off the bat. So I appreciate that. You gave me a reason to go dig in. Um, but as far as the Seahawks, here's what I what I was able to find. So early in the season, they were the, the opposing teams were using a lot of press coverage. Um, you know, and that was really going the Seahawks way. So if you look at Metcalf, you know, in the first nine games, 351 routes, 152 of those were against press. He was targeted 66 times. He had 54 receptions for 619 yards, eight touchdowns. If you look at the second 10, at the second eight games, right, the press coverage dropped from 152 down to 90. His target stayed the same, 65 versus 66, but the bigger plays were not quite there. 41 receptions, 556 yards, and only two touchdowns. Um, so I think that's a big thing for Metcalf. Teams have learned that, okay, so what are we going to do? They're going to back off of him. They're not going to challenge him up at, the, up at the line. The other thing they're doing is they're blitzing less. And because Russ has actually been pretty good against the blitz, so they're blitzing less. They're using more coverage. They're playing off. And so far, the Seahawks just haven't had an answer for it. So if you look at Lockett, very similar. The first nine games, 354 routes, 117 of those against press. In the second eight games, 308 routes, only 58 of those against press. And you saw a very similar drop-off, dropped from 619 yards down to 439, seven touchdowns down to three touchdowns. So teams have figured out that, look, they've got two weapons, really. I mean, they don't have a third weapon in the passing game. We can say Greg Olson, but we don't know when's Greg Olson. Is he ever going to be healthy? Is he really the same? You know, they just don't have that third option to demand, right, certain types of looks from the defense, which means defenses are basically saying, okay, we're just going to stay back. We're not going to let you make big plays. We know that you've got offensive line deficiencies. Yes, Russell Wilson's really good, but we're just going to continue to make him you know, make plays and just slowly move the ball down the field. We're not going to give up the big play to the Seahawks. And that's really worked. And so they just haven't had an answer for it. You know, historically, Ian, what we may have seen, you know, which is kind of interesting, right? They ran the ball all the time, really. And I know this is wrong, but they, you know, their th- their mantra was, well, run the ball to set up the pass, right? Right. But they may need to do some of that. It's almost like they need to get their play action game going um, even better. They do run play action. They could run it more, though, easily with their team. Um, they could rank first in the league, right, if they wanted to. They could, they could run play action 35 40%, you know, of their passing plays and be fine. And so I think that's the thing that they could think about, you know, using a little bit more of the play action pass. You know, maybe running the ball just a little bit more. Um, this isn't necessarily the best matchup for that, you know, either. Um, but I think that's going to be the key. Um, and here's the biggest issue for the Seahawks this year. If you look at the Rams, right, and the way that, I know I'm probably jumping ahead to my uh, matchup part, but if you look at the way the Rams really play opposing offenses, they don't really use a ton of press coverage. They play off and they mix things up big time. So if you look at Russell Wilson. Um, in the first half of the season, hang on, let me pull this up. Cause this is pretty cool. If you look at Russell Wilson, you know, in the first half of the season, um, and you look at how he was able to do, you know, against, uh, you know, cover three, cover one. He tore, he really torched both of those coverages. But one of you were really able to mix things up, throw some cover two at him, throw some cover six at him, throw some cover four. Um, you know, and a lot of times that's cover four match, which has man and zone um, qualities to that coverage. Teams that were able to mix things up against Russ. Really did do better. And if you look at what the Rams have been able to do this year, so cover three, 166. Um, of their uh, drop of their plays, 93, cover three seam, quarters 149, cover six 114, cover one 72. So really, if you look at their defense, like they mix it up as well as anyone and the way they play their coverages. So it's not easy to It's not easy to drop back and identify what they're going to do. Most teams will have a staple, right? They'll either be a base cover three, a base cover one, you know, that kind of a thing. You don't see base cover two or anything like that anymore. But really the Rams are the team that I saw because I really looked at all of them after I found this today. Like no team really mixes it up better. So I think Russ is in for some problems because the recipe that's been there to stop that passing attack um, over the second half of the season is the exact recipe that the rams use and in fact the rams were one of the first teams to really expose um, seattle earlier in the season and a lot of teams were able to copy
0: that very good stuff man look i just you can find it on pff.com I, I did a, a article today who is the most complete 2020 NFL playoff team? Basically said, hey, if we just treat the passing game, which we all know is like the most important quality of a team, specifically the quarterback, where if we treated that equal with the run game, with the O line, receivers, pass defense, run defense, you know who pops up because of this and because of some poor kind of social branding. I've had Bills Mafia extremely angry at me uh, ranking them 11th all throughout the day. But the purpose of this study for myself was to try to go through every offense and defense, see where teams are in the cracks, good and good and bad, and all that, and the Rams Sam's defense, I... Literally can't find a weakness. The one that was seemingly popping up a little bit, they ranked sixth sixth in tackling when I averaged out a few metrics, but that's because they were 24th in yards after the catch per reception allowed. But that's probably just because they have the second lowest average target depth against because guys need to get the ball out quickly before Aaron Donald kills them. So truly, man, I don't know where there's, a de- where there's a weakness. Even their run D, their top six in all four categories I looked at. But to your point, the secondary is what is truly such a big problem. First in PFF coverage grade, first in the EPA allowed per pass, yards per attempt explosive pass play rate this is the 11th best defense in terms of just epa allowed per pass play since 2010 we're talking legit elite in all sense of the world man the word man not throwing that around so yeah i'm looking at this and you know you would think hey maybe chris carson russell wilson could get going i don't think so man unfortunately as you know you were explaining kind of with the two versions of the Seahawks offense, I think they've gotten it in their mind that they can be, you know, this running team and win with defense because of this just really, really soft schedule they've been facing. I mean, okay. They had a game in week 11 against the Cardinals. Since then they have faced the Eagles, the giants, the jets, the Washington football team, the Rams, and then the CJ Bathara led 49ers. Like, Hey, you know what? They won five of those six games a win is a win is a win but like I think this defensive turnaround being quite a bit overstated because of the quality of competition they've been facing lately so it's concerning because I don't think this current state of the Seahawks offense quite has what it takes to get going against this Rams defense because again I don't know really who can unless you're firing on all cylinders because the Rams defense ooh, buddy you know right it's I think it's between them and the Saints if we really had to line up who's playing the best right now and I think it is the Rams as the best defense remaining in the playoffs so good luck Russ I am not sure How are you going to crack that code? I'm excited to find out, though. Dwayne, what do you think uh, about Goff, Wolfe, whoever's under center? How do you see McVeigh attacking the Seahawks defense?
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Either you're going to have Goff who's going to be playing with an injury, right, or you're going to have a young, young unproven quarterback. And McVeigh has shown, you know, throughout the season that he's very willing to go to, you know, a run-heavy type scheme. And when we say run-heavy, that would basically be like 50%, you know, of your plays, right? Um, and, and so I think they are going to lean on the run. They're going to try to set up play action. They know that their defense matches up really well with what the Seattle, you know, Seahawks do on offense. So I think that's going to be their first plan, right? Is to try to to run the ball, use play action, pick their spots to get the ball down the field. Um, I would rather see golf, you know, personally, you know, me. I know I know golf isn't great, but it's not like I mean Seattle their ability to rush the passer is average, right? It's not something where they're going to, you know, uh, you know, cause a ton of pressure, you know, on golf, you know, they're pretty good, but if, if the Rams can stay balanced and the Seahawks have to continue to respect the fact that it could be a run play on any play, especially the way this offense is designed, you know, with all of the wide zone and inside zone and the boot actions, all those things off of it really requires offenses to have to really think about the run first and, and keep gap integrity, and then go rush the passer versus some teams that are really good passing teams you pretty much know like they're going to throw the ball most of the time and so you don't it's not that you don't have to have the discipline as a player that you would you know against you know these teams but it's not quite as important and it's it's so the defensive players can get away with occasionally just saying I'm just going after the passer on this play I don't care you know if it ends up being a run I'm betting on I'm pass I'm, you just it's tough to do that against the Rams just like it's tough to do that against you know uh, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers it's tough to do that against the Cleveland Browns it's tough to do that against the Minnesota Vikings they all run that same kind of offense where you really have to have that gap integrity. So I think that's what they'll try to do. Um, they do need to be able to hit some shots deep though, Ian, because that's really where you can hit, you know, the 49ers. And and that's where I still think Goff gives you the better chance assuming that the fingers well enough, right, to be able to have accuracy on his throws. We'll have to see um, because the Seahawks are ripe for the taking, you know, as far as the plays over 20 plus yards, you know, they're one of the worst in the NFL. Um, They're not, they're not good at play action. They're not good versus play action. Um, So if you, I think you could see like Josh Reynolds pop up, right. With one of those games where he only has three receptions, but you know, he catches two for 50 yards and he gets you a touchdown, that kind of a thing. So I think, you know, it's going to be, you're going to be running the ball, um, but you got to be able to hit them deep. And typically that's where they use Reynolds. They use wood some there cup is mostly underneath. Um, I haven't even looked at the injury report on cup yet, you know, as to see, you know, is he going to be back for this game? Um, I know he's, it sounds like tr- it's, it sounds
0: like it's trending up. He's uh, going re- yeah, he okay. to Yeah. practice Tuesday. is returning once in.
1: Okay. Yeah. I had looked at the injury report, but I didn't see a COVID update on him. Okay, cool.
0: But yeah, uh, looking on to the Rams now I'm with, you. it's not that golf is like, bad but he, he's so bad under pressure and he's actually pretty great when he's kept clean and because we see you know this kind of Jekyll and Hyde version of him I think that causes us to you know freak out when we do see the really bad version because this year only Drew Locke had a largest dro- larger drop off in yards per attempt under pressure versus kept clean so I get it I mean he truly puts some horrendous foam out there just realize if they can't keep him upright he can certainly take advantage of this secondary so adding Cooper Cup back in this uh, equation we would expect Van Jefferson to kind of fall out of this three wide receiver sets So that would make Josh Reynolds at 3,600 on DraftKings, you know, certainly a viable salary saving option. If Goff remains sideline, like, yeah, we can go back to the well with John Wolford. I don't know why his price didn't change. He's still 4,900. The guy rushed six times for 56 yards last week. We need dual threat QBs. And hey, you know, he at least looked like he should be out there again. No offensive touchdowns. I'm not you know saying he's a better option than Goff to win this game. But in terms of fantasy land at that price point for a dual threat QB, yeah, that's fine. If you want to go stars and scrubs and pay up elsewhere, you can live with John Wolford under Center with a Reynolds, you know Robert Wood stack. However, you want to do it. But the one guy I think needs to be in more lineups. Not is Cam Akers. 25 touches last week on a 66% snap rate. Like we were concerned if he was even going to be able to play through the ankle injury. Not only did he play, worked well ahead of Malcolm Brown. So Daryl Henderson still out of the picture. And Cam Akers sitting there at only 5100. Like you'd have to go all the way up to David Montgomery or Nick Chubb in the high six K to even find someone with a similar touch projection. So Akers, you know it's going to be hard to keep him out of lineups because I think if you just look at You know, your salary implied total in terms of your raw projection, you won't see another running back just implied for more points than what DraftKings is saying they should be. So Cam Akers, I'm fine going contrarian with the passing game if Golf is back. Otherwise, we'll kind of rein in expectations and just look at this run game and try to save some salary otherwise. Dwayne? Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, are are you trusting them at all to put up points or are you just kind of maybe looking at other spots for DM? Man,
1: I think it's just tough. I mean, if you look at Wilson, you know, week 10 against the Rams, had 248 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. (laughs) Week 16, 225 yards, one touchdown, no picks. It's just – it's hard to get excited, at least, least, you know, from a receiver standpoint, you know, we're not seeing uh, Metcalf – you know, priced up in like the high 7,000, you know, and even low 8,000 range that he got up to, you know, briefly. So he's sitting at 6,700, you know, the guy can still come through with a big play, you know, DK Metcalf is a monster. It's just that the Rams are the worst, they're the worst possible matchup that the Seahawks could have ever thought of, right. For the way that they want to play their offense. Um, I mean, the Rams would be a bad matchup for anybody, but if you look specifically at, you know, what happened to the Seahawks offense in the second half of the season the Rams do everything that they don't want to see. They do all of the things that cause their offense to plummet. So I think from a price standpoint, you know, you can still get Metcalf at 6,700, you know, lock a little bit more at 6,900. Um, but I, you know, if I was placing a bet on one of those two, I'm just, I'm probably still going to put it, you know, on DK Metcalf, um, you know, even though the matchup is not great. The thing is, if you're playing the three game slate, you're going to have to find receivers somewhere, right? Where are the good matchups on this slate, you know, <laughs> um it's it's tough you know to really say say where they are i mean well and it's obvious like we're in the playoffs right you got better defenses you got better offenses across the board um so it's not like i'm not going to stack this game up you know if i'm looking at just playing a saturday slate i think the team the game that we talked about first is the game you stack more right indian buffalo and then you just got to pick your spots with these other two matchups
0: yeah Good stuff there, and that takes us to the game prediction. I am taking under 43. It's already a low game total. I get it, but just look at since this December. I'm talking total points from these two teams in their games. So for the Seahawks, they, they've combined to score 29 points, 43, 35, 29, 49. The Rams, 66, and then 27, 43, 29, 25. So in 10 games between these two teams in December, they have gotten to 40, more than 43 just twice. So it's a low game total. I get it. Again, Wolford scored nine freaking points without defense. Of help. Jared Goff scored nine points against this defense in their last matchup. Russ, you know, to your point, has had the two bad games this year. And even going back to last year, he had a 12 point stinker after they got Ramsey later in the season. So, you know, life's too short to bet to not bet the over. I get the moniker, but you know, gun to my head here, I gotta give you all a prediction. I am taking the under. Dwayne, are you gonna be soft like me or you got something better for the people? Dude, I, I just don't see a reason to not take the under, especially if
1: Walford plays, you know. I, I just I don't see a reason you know, to, to bet the over. Um, I do think that the Rams cover just because of all the things that we talked about. You know, I think right now they're sitting at minus, you know, Seattle minus four and a half. So I think the Rams are going to cover that. And I'm with you on the under. I know, I know the under's already pretty low, but I just, I don't see this team. I don't see these two teams being able to do a lot just with the, with the way that all the
0: matchups work. Yeah, would not be shocked if that creeps closer to 40 by Saturday. Saturday night game up next. We got the Buccaneers at the Washington Football Team. Tampa open has seven and a half point favorites. That's up to eight and a half. Game total 46 and a half down to 45. So looking at this Buccaneers offense, I mean, really like looking back, I know we got a nice little cozy three game stretch on the end of the year, but what a season for Tom Brady in a year that a lot of people were writing him off after that 2019 Patriots offense looked like a hot pile of garbage. As we saw, you know, with hindsight now, it was more of an issue of the surrounding parts than Tom Brady because my goodness career high 45 big time throws with an average target depth of 10.1 he's never thrown downfield more often we've been telling you all season on this podcast to throw an apple or something at your friends that say he has a noodle arm it just has not been the case all season long 1,233 deep passing yards most he has ever had in a season and guess what TB12 also had a league low 1.8% turnover worthy play rate guys been throwing downfield more than ever and he's been having success doing it you know we'll get into the match a little bit more but I will say that only concerning thing about Brady in this offense, he never exactly fixed that short passing game. I mean, we saw this rearing its ugly head throughout the year. He didn't have, you know, a running back. He could, he could rely on, he didn't have, you know, okay. Chris Goblin's an awesome slot receiver. I get that, but we never saw a situation where they were just able to consistently get going, uh, you know, just in the short game. And I mentioned earlier about, you know, Jared Goff being the second most uh, just kind of pressure sensitive quarterback in terms of yards per attempt difference when he's uh, pressured pressure versus kept clean. I mean, look, these are the only, let's see, two, four, only seven quarterbacks had a difference of at least three yards in this metric. Drew Locke, Jared Goff, Nick Mullins, Tannehill, Mayfield, Burrow, and Tom Brady. I'm a little bit concerned with how he can stand up if this Washington football team defensive line does what's done all year, and that is make life a living hell for the opposing quarterback. So I understand Brady, pretty great for the whole season, particularly the last three games. But in those last three games, again, against the Falcons and Lions, I'm just not sure we saw them fix some of the underlying problems they had earlier on. Hey, when when he has time to throw that deep ball, Evans, A.B., Goblin, he makes it work. But again, when things haven't gone great, we've seen this offense really sputter out. I'm not totally convinced that they have fixed all those problems. But, Dwayne, I'm leading you in here. Football team offense might not exactly have the firepower to make this any of an issue.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, they get Alex Smith back, you know, last week, but, you know, we know, and this is no disrespect. I mean, the comeback that Alex Smith has made is, is awesome, but he's really a game manager. But I I think ultimately their team is okay with that. You know, I mean, if they really want to lean on the defense, if we talk about how does Washington win this game, right? They need to pressure Brady. They've got to cause some turnovers. They've got to get the game set up where they don't have to lean 100. They don't have to lean too heavily in, you know, to their passing game. You know, Washington, yes, they throw the ball 64% of the time. You know, um, they only run the ball 36% of the time, but to, to really, they don't want to be in a shootout, right, with the Bucs. That's that's not the way that they're going to win this game. So I, I see them wanting to come out and run the ball. They're just going to have to keep it close. The problem is, you know, you look at the Bucs, they are eight and a half point favorites, which, you know, that's a really big number for a playoff game, um, you know, and I do get concerned, like if they fall behind, it really takes away some of the balance I think they need for Alex Smith. You know, you saw Antonio Gibson, you know, even though he's been battling a toe injury over the last two weeks, he's gotten back in the lineup last week. He had 19 carries. I think they really want to lean, you know, on, on the running game, but the Bucs are really good, you know, against, against the rush. So I mean, if you think about it, what Washington probably wants to do, you know, the Bucs are number one in the league in yards per game allowed, you know, rushing 80.6 yards per game. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, I think the defense is going to have to play really well. If the Bucks come out, right, and jump out to a 10-point lead or 14-point lead, anything like that, I mean, this, it's, the game's over. Really, because then at that point, you know the Bucks can slow things down. Um, They they know that Washington doesn't have the offense to come back, so they can take less risk, worry less about turning the ball over because they know that you know Washington's got an insane pass rush. It's the fifth it's the fifth best you know in the NFL from a PFF grading standpoint. You know from a pressure rate standpoint, it ranks even higher. Um, So they want to stay away from the pass rush. But the Bucks, you know, they're gonna. They score through throwing. Right. So what Washington has to hope for is that early in the game, they get us. They get a strip sack. Right. Type of thing against Brady while the Bucs are while the Bucks are trying to build their lead.
0: Yeah. And you no know, staying on this topic uh, against the Buccaneers defense, man, haven't been great recently. 27 plus points allowed in five of their last seven games. And this was a unit after the first like month and a half of the year, we were wondering if they were the best defense in the entire league. And I think a big part about that was kind of this fraudulent run defense. You mentioned them being good against the run. They are, they're great against the run. They've shut it down all year long. Part of that reason, because they're 29th in having, you know, the most eight man boxes against run plays. So great job with it. And that's because they devote so many resources to stopping that. So when someone like this, the good news is I don't
1: see Washington forcing them to change that just because Alex Smith, does not push the ball deep, right? We know he wants to check down underneath. You get Terry McLaurin back last week, yet his, his average depth of target is like a six, you know? So when you have those types of things, you're just not going to force the Bucks to play a kind of game they don't want to play. And I think
0: that's going to be Washington's problem yeah, man, I, I don't see them forcing the Buccaneers to try to do anything else. So we've seen Carlton Davis have problems with Tyreek Hill, have problems with Calvin Ridley. Terry McLaurin at full health, maybe he could do that. I'm not sure right now, and I'm definitely not sure with Alex Smith there, you know, try and check the ball down more times than not. So yeah, man, you know, the Buccaneers' weaknesses, certainly not something I think the Washington football team can attack. Now, on the other side of the coin, Dwayne, I've talked about, you know, not being all that confident in Tom Brady against this defensive front. I still have concerns about this, you know, shorter passing game. What do you think the Buccaneers are be able to do against this Washington football team defense?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough for them. I think they're going to need to be more balanced, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, um, good offenses beat good defenses, right? Especially if you've got an offense, you know, on the other side in Washington that can't force some sort of a situation where all of a sudden they're ahead by 10 or 14 points, right? And now they've got the Bucks playing from behind and you know, Brady has to drop back to pass pretty much every single time. If, if the Bucs find themselves in that situation, it's going to be a really long day and we could see an upset by Washington. I think the issue really is going to be, even though this is such a good, you know, um, you know, pass defense, they have such a good pass rush. We just know that in the end, like offense beats defense. Right? And I don't think they're going to have to be that much better just because Washington's offense is so bad. And so I think you're going to see definitely, you know, we're going to see less scoring from the Bucks, most likely this week, unless they happen to hit some blown coverages, big plays, stuff like that. Um, I see Tom Brady, you know, really having to earn it, you know, this week, I see more quick passing, you know, from Brady, less shots downfield, you know, unless they just really present themselves. Um, so I, I think we're going to see overall the offense from the Bucks suppressed by, you know, Washington, which they've been able to do to most of our other, other offenses. I just think that the Bucks are going to be able to still throw the ball enough. You know, I would say, you're not going to see it be a game where they're going to drop back 70% of the time. Cause I just don't see them trailing. Right. So I think if they can get into a situation where they can run the more, they can run the ball more, say they're up by seven, they're up by 10. I think you're going to see a much more balanced approach, like in the second half of the game, um, just because they want to avoid a, you know, a turnover, they could turn the game around. And then B you also don't want to get Brady hurt heading into the week after
0: everything is lining up for DFS Rojo season, man. I like it. Look, Five times this year, Buccaneers have scored 24 or fewer points. Rams Chiefs Saints twice and the Bears those are all top 12 defenses and pressure Washington football team of course is that I don't think they need more than 24 points to win this game they might might not need more than 10 points to win this game because I think Ronald Jones will be the guy look he's dealing with the finger problem but he at least got back into action last week played more than Leonard Fournette you know you look at the pricing disparity they really haven't adjusted for you know the potential for Ronald Jones to just get back to being that feature back that he was for basically one week before getting COVID getting the finger injury so so You know, as uh, Dan Fouts once said, last game of the year, can't hold anything back now. 5,500 Rojo, Fournette 4,500. I know Fournette was a pass down back last week, but I think we're underestimating the potential for Rojo to just really get fed, you know, as much as as much as much possible. So, yeah, uh, I don't see Washington holding on to the ball, giving T- Tampa Bay a lot of possessions. They don't think to throw the ball, got to give the ball to Ronald Jones. So, Ronald Jones is going to be one of my probably highest on running backs in tournaments, but I understand trying to focus on that in the Buffalo game. Dwayne, anyone on Washington? Washington, McKissick, maybe?
1: Yeah, you actually nailed it. Like McKissick would be the guy. If you just look at the games where Washington has trailed by four or more points, you know, we've got a line, you know, of eight and a half here. 55% of the plays McKissick has been, and, and this is excluding the games where Gibson didn't play. So if you look at the games where both guys were active, 55% of the snaps went to McKissick when they trailed by four or more. And he also got 61% of the routes. So I think it's one of those days where, you see, you know, Washington down by seven, 10 points, and you're going to see a ton of check downs from Alex Smith um, to JD McKissick. And I say just check downs, but they really, they, he has a decent route tree, right? He can be used in a lot of ways. And so I could see this easily being one of those 10, 11, 12 target games for McKissick, where he comes through for you with eight or nine receptions. That would be the way I would lean with Washington. You know, Terry McLaurin, man, at 6,300 that's pretty cheap for a guy that you know can be the centerpiece. We just don't know how healthy he is, right? Was he just trying to gut it out last week and played because they really needed to win that game? Um, like we said before, his, his average depth of target really wasn't that great, but it is tough you know, to just completely ignore Terry McLaurin in a situation where you know he's going to see one-on-one man coverage but then you think, oh, crap. Well, I got Alex Smith. Can he push the ball down the field? Um, Alex Smith, only 3.46% of his passes would grade out as big time throws, which is really low. <laughs> it's one of the worst in the league. Um, so he's just not a guy that pushes the ball down the field. He's just not a guy that's looking to take a lot of chances. Um, and they need to do it early, Ian, if they're going to do it, right? You don't want to get behind and then the Bucks are expecting pass and then you try to do it um, because that's going to equal you know, a pick for the Bucks if they can come out and do it early, I think McLaurin, if he hits a big play early, you know, that's where a lot of your points come from.
0: And he was limited last week, but he still gutted out 81% snaps, you know, seven catches, 40 yards, in, and scoring eight targets. So whether or not he's 100% Washington, is at least giving him the chance to get that usual workload. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. People to celebrate Sunday's action draft. Kings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet. They cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer again DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100 that's right you bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook so must be 21 or older New Jersey Indiana or Pennsylvania only risk-free coverage paid out in site credits restrictions apply see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT taking us in the game predictions so i had washington plus eight and a half written down i have changed my mind not so fast my friend i am now taking the under 45 after going through this with you Dwayne. because again Everything the Buccaneers do good on defense is exactly what Washington wants to do. And you look at this Washington defense, okay, I mean, even if Brady performs a little bit better, this, I, I don't see an explosion coming by any stretch of the imagination. The Washington football team and the Ravens the only defense is with 10 games holding their opponent to 20 or fewer points. Banned up Mike Evans. Again, Rojo with the finger thing. Brady and all these pressure concerns. I do question whether either offense can put up anything resembling anything close to 30 points in this one. Dwayne, what do you got?
1: Yeah, man, this is this one's a a tough one, you know, with the line, you know, being bigger. I want to say that that Washington, you know, can cover uh, just because of their defense. But I just think the onslaught all day of Tampa Bay and the lack of ability of the Washington offense is just going to be problematic. So I, I would say Tampa, you know, to cover. That would be totally against, you know, if you look at the PFF green line, you know, they would absolutely say, take Washington, that's the value, you know, to cover this game and, and the Bucs are not a good value. So that's from people that are far smarter, you know, than me, to do a lot more math than me, um, you know, but I'm just going to go against the math on this and I would say that I, I
0: think that the Bucks are going to win this game by double digits. I can see it now Buccaneers comfortably up 14 final three minutes of the game. McKissick catches nine straight checkdowns, finds his way into the end zone at the end. We will see. We <laughs> will <you> <laughs> see. All right. Opening up to Sunday now, we got the Ravens at the Titans. Baltimore sitting pretty as a three and a half point favorite game total at 55. Look, this Ravens offense, it goes through Lamar Jackson and run the ball. Ravens have rushed for 100 yards and 39 consecutive regular season games since Lamar took over in week 11, 2018. They're you know not going to have a chance to extend that in the playoffs, but the Steelers at 43 games from 1974 1970. 77 only team to do it more often so 14 players this year averaged at least five yards per carry among 51 guys with 100 rush attempts three play for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, JK Dobbins and Gus Evers. So truly they can run the ball on anybody. I'm not exactly expecting the Tennessee Titans to be much of an issue. And man, like even looking at the passing attack, it's not that the Ravens have necessarily fixed everything. You know, I know uh, you can check out pff, PFF.com. Seth Galina has a great article, great article talking about, you know, the different things Lamar Jackson has done to help get this team back on track, looking like his former self. And a lot of that is true, but I will say, you know, when you face the Cowboys, Browns, Jaguars, Gi- Giants, and Bengals, Bengals to end the year, you know, the good parts of your game probably going to shine through a little bit more than they would against, you know, maybe tougher opponents. But with that said, you know, I got my mismatch uh, manifesto article coming out Wednesday and just looking at the combined, you know, EPA per pass play from these teams, buffalo with their pass offenses versus the colts uh, pass defense is popping the most number two though is the ravens passing game so it's not necessarily you know saying that lamar and them are playing that great but truly everybody can pass on this titans defense they are maybe a bottom five secondary in the league and they've been performing like it for the better part of the last six weeks so you know baltimore you know we'll get to dfs stuff a little bit later but the run offense is great but they might just be able to throw the ball to uh you know something resembling their heart's desire in this matchup as well Dwayne, tell me about Tennessee Titans offense that they can do a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, man they do it all. I mean, if you look at the teams that are actually positive in EPA per run and EPA per pass, they're one of the very few teams that are positive in both. So they're a positive uh, EPA per run is 0.05 and then EPA per per pass is 0.30, which is really high. They utilize a ton of play action. And if you look at the Ravens and really how they've built their team, you know, they've, they're very athletic, you know, even at the linebacker spot, they've got great corners, you know, they're hurting a little bit at safety after what happened, you know, with Earl Thomas, but They're really built, you know, to stop the passing game. Now, they're also, they've been good, you know, against the running game. You know, they've been second in the league, if you look at it, you know, on yards given up per game. But if you look at, you know, the Ravens, you know, after contact, what they're giving up, and you look at the way that Tennessee likes to play, you know, 3.5 yards per carry after contact, that's number one, you know, in the NFL. Uh, They've got the number one graded, you know, rushing attack in the NFL by PFF, 92.3. Um, you know, so I just, I just see, this, I see this being a game where, to your point, it can be balanced, but I think they're going to run the ball plenty. I think they're going to run the ball unless they just were to fall down. Uh, you know, by two scores, all of a sudden, then they would need to throw the ball more. Um, I see them trying to come out and run the ball half of these plays, right. And then go play action and hit big plays off of it. You know, our guy, AJ Brown, Brown, we'll talk about, you know, the DFS stuff here in a second, but they've just got a perfect blend, you know, of two just monsters, with <laughs> Derek Henry. Then you got to worry about AJ Brown on the end routes and the crossing routes on play action, which is really hard to cover with the linebackers, you know, biting up. And then you also have, oh yeah, Corey, Corey Davis is not bad. John U. Smith is also a decent, you know, tight end. So there's just a lot of options, you know, for the Titans. But I do expect them to stick with what's brought them here. You know, they're going to run the ball a ton. They're going to go play, play action. They're going to try to hit their big plays
0: want to necessarily call the Titans the Ravens kryptonite, but man, if we get another victory for them, it's going to be three straight where it's looking just like that because the biggest kind of issue with this Ravens defense, it's tackling. They were 26 in missed tackle rate, 30th in yards allowed after contact per carry. It's not even necessarily just in the front seven. I mean, this was the sixth worst defense in missed tackles and coverage this year, too, so that is not good when you're facing Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Jonu Smith. I mean, if we just had like an man style brawl between every team's wide receiver one, RB1, one, and tight end one, the Titans would be like a minus 500 favorite like these guys are all monsters with the ball in their hands and they're facing a secondary and truly it's a front seven that does have problems with always uh, being you know the first guy to take down that ball carrier and then you look at what Corey Davis did in week 11 seven targets, five catches, 113 yards. They just seem to have an answer for everything Baltimore wants to do to stop them. So no disrespect to Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, uh, you know, Marcus Peters. It's a great secondary. We've only really seen Patrick Mahomes have a really sustained success in the passing game, but you add Derrick Henry to this equation, you know, it's no wonder we've seen the Ravens have so much trouble slowing down this Titans offense. So it's, it's, you know, everything we were talking about how Washington, Tiffany Bay and some of those Saturday matchups like are kind of, you know, nothing's working out for those offenses. Almost the opposite here. I feel like the Titans. Might have a chance to do whatever they want against this Ravens defense. Dwayne, do you feel the kind of same way for the Ravens offense versus the Titans?
1: Yeah, I don't see a ton of reason to talk about the Titans offense very much. I mean, if you look at the PFF grades, sixty four point four, you know, overall on defense, rush defense of fifty nine point seven, which is really bad. Uh, <laughs> tackling sixty two point nine. Uh, pass rush, 62.9. The coverage has been okay at 68.2, but whenever you don't have a pass rush, you can't stop the run. You know, overall you're just going to be in for a long day. So, I mean, overall, we're looking at a middle of the pack defense, um, you know, once you've adjusted, you know, for their opponents that have been played, but I just feel like there's just too many holes. You know, I think the Ravens can pretty much, they're going to be in a similar spot. They're going to be able to do what they want and they they have enough, variation in the way that they can attack and that you have to respect the run game, especially with Lamar Jackson. And that's enough that even though, so this is where it's different, right. And what you see with the Seahawks, because the Seahawks don't, my dog just coughed whenever I said the Seahawks. So Uh uh, that's that's bad news. (laughs) That's bad news for the Seahawks. Um, So if you, if you look at Tennessee, you know, or sorry, you look at the Ravens offense where it's a little bit different than like what you have with Seattle is just because they run the ball so much with Lamar and you got to constantly pay attention to that. You don't have to have three really good wide receiver options, right? So for Seattle, it's, it's harder because teams know they're going to drop back to pass. Yes, Russ can still scramble, but he's not near the threat that Lamar Jackson is. So they they do things schematically that really just keep teams in a bind all the time. They're also really good on play action. Um, you know, I think schematically the best way to try to attack Lamar Jackson is you have to take away the middle of the field. Don't let him throw the crossing routes, especially the deep crossers. Force him to throw outside the hash marks. Make him try to hit those go routes. He's not good at it and Marquise Brown and he they just haven't had that they just haven't had that down all year if you look at the plays that have really worked for them it's either been ad lib or it's been the crossers it's the seam routes and the crossers to Mark Andrews so you just got to try to take that away from the Titans and this is a Bill Belichick tree kind of team right so you could come in and sell out to do one thing and if I were the Titans that's what I would do I would say okay I'm going to try to stop the run I'm taking the middle of the field away I'm going to give you one-on-one shots outside Lamar Jackson you have to hit them
0: yeah, and I, you know, slight tangent, but can we please get Lamar Jackson a legit number one wide receiver? We've seen Baker get OBJ, we've seen Josh Allen get Stephon Diggs. You know, like I put a pull up on Twitter, like, hey, if we just clone Stefan Diggs, put him on the Bills and Ravens, who wins? And the amount of just slander on Lamar Jackson for his throwing ability, it's like I get it. The guy is never going to be Andrew Luck from the pocket, but hey, let's maybe give him more than arguably the single worst wide receiver room in the league before we completely dismiss what he well, can. Why? I mean.
1: No, I think it's a really good point. I know it's a tangent, but just like, if you look at the bills and you look at, so last, if you look at one of the routes that's the easiest way to really help your quarterbacks, it's the, it's the, you know, not the dig route, but, uh, I want to say digs because it's Stefan, you know, you know, digs, but it's Classic. the hitch route, right. You're given, you know, your quarterback, a target that's not moving horizontally off across the field, you know, so they don't have to worry about the leading per, you know, perspective of it, they just got to hit them right between the numbers. And so it's a receiver working back to the quarterback. And if you look at what that's done, you know, for Josh Allen's been really better across the board, but that's been a huge, huge thing for him. So he's thrown, I think, 104. Uh, targets to hitch routes this year. And I want to say Diggs has ran like 59 of them, which is by far like the most in the league. It's like 20 above the next person. Um, So you have a really good route runner. You're given him the, the type of route that's easier to hit, right? It's less problematic as far as all the different variables you got to take into account, you know, and the way you're reading the coverage and the way you got to lead the receiver. So I think there's really, to your point, I think there's a lot of truth. You know, to something like that. I think Marquise Brown gives you the vertical stretch the field element. He can definitely run the crossers and all those things, but he's not the kind of guy you're going to run on a lot of that underneath stuff. You know, I mean, they schematically try to work screens and some different things to him, but he's just he's he's just not where a guy like Diggs is. Um, And I think it is huge. I think we've seen what it's done for Josh Allen.
0: Yeah, I would just like to see Marquise Brown as an offense's number two, dare I say, number three wide receiver instead of pigeonholed in as an underqualified wide receiver one. With that said, because he is the wide receiver one, this offense, these Lamar Jackson stacks continue to be viable, even though he is the most expensive quarterback at the position. I mean, look, Mark Andrews only 5,200 this week. I mean, there's no other tight end you want, and when you consider that Andrews can really just be the number one Ravens wide receiver during any given week, or just you know receiver. We don't need to designate these positions as much with someone like him again. very affordable to stack these guys. So I know it might have burnt some people in week 17. They had a good game, not a great game uh, together. Andrews in particular was a letdown. You know, Lamar and Mark Andrews stacks. Even if you don't want to put Marquise Brown on there, certainly a viable way to start any roster construction. And then looking at the running back room. I mean, look, J.K. Dobbins led the way last week in terms of efficiency. He's been their best back. They're treating him as a starter. They know he's RB1. Look, he had 13 carries. Gus Edwards had 12. Mark Ingram had nine. Throughout the fourth quarter, that's when Mark Ingram was getting his work. You know, 13 for JK and 12 for Gus. Like they love Gus. Edwards and they should, the guy does nothing except average over five yards per carry as he's now done in the first three seasons of his career. So I'm not saying, you know, Ingram's a part of this, but Gus certainly still is. And when you look at Dobbins sitting there at 6,600 and Gus down there at 4,400, I mean, we only need to go back about a month to that Ravens Browns game to see Edwards, you know, fall into the end zone a few times on his, you know, handful of touches. So if you're trying to win one of these tournaments with six games, you're looking for something funky to happen. Just realize Gus Edwards is a candidate to get double digit touches. I'm fine with JK Dobbins as well. Again, Again, fully expecting the Ravens to move the ball at will against this Titans defense. Just realize this is not, you know, a one-man backfield. Still very much a two RB situation. Dwayne, who are you targeting in DFS and why is it A.J. Brown?
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, it's A.J. Brown because we just have to say A.J. Brown, right? I think there's a quota for how many times we have to say A.J. Brown. (laughs) I don't know if we're there yet, but just let me know. Um, Yeah, man, A.J. Brown has really been, I think he's just shown. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the matchup is you know, does it hurt? Yeah, it can, it can take, it can take some away, but if you look at, you know, the rest of the matchups this weekend, you know, on the slate, I think AJ Brown still has to grade, you know, at the very top of the guys you're going to be looking for Um, as far as the tight ends go, John Smith, very sneaky, right. Over the last three weeks, you know, his routes have really been in the elite range for tight ends, 80%, 71%, 70%, 81%. His targets have been a little bit up and down two, five, seven, two, but if this gets into, you know, if this is a game where there's a shootout, you know, if if the Ravens corners really do come to play, right, like we know they're capable of. And let's say they they're able to do some things against Corey Davis and they're able to do some things against A.J. Brown. then I think that's where John U. Smith could really come up. You know, they've got a rookie in Patrick Queen. You know, he's he's a good linebacker. But I think John U. Smith, you know, is very athletic in his own right. You know, he's also a veteran. You know, he knows how all these things work. And, you know, the Ravens. They're going to have to be, they're going to be so occupied with Derrick Henry, especially their linebackers and safeties. So I think that's going to be a, that could be a potential mismatch. And I think they could potentially funnel a few more targets to Johnu Smith, given how good that we know that the secondary can be for the Ravens. So he's a guy that I'm really targeting this weekend And uh, as far
0: as tight ends go like that call particularly considering all those missed tackle issues we know the Ravens had on the game prediction. I am taking the Titans plus three and a half. I was surprised to see that they weren't favored when I saw this. Honestly, I understand the Ravens, I believe, have the single best point differential in the NFL. They know how to beat the crap out of a bad team. The Titans are not a bad team. You know, Ryan Tano, he's really only had two stinkers this entire season. The Green Bay game, which everybody saw and it's all fresh in our memory and then the first Colts game. But even that, you know, A.J. Brown catches that 75 yard touchdown. We're talking about a completely different story, but potentially. So, you know, I have more confidence in this Titans passing in than I do the Ravens. Maybe Lamar has turned around. Maybe he's back to 2019 form, but again, I can't get that Cowboys, Browns, Jaguars, Giants, Bengals stretch run the end of the season out of my head. So give me the Titans. I think they should be favored plus three and a half. I don't have a great feel for who could win because it could certainly be the Ravens. But again, I just think the wrong team is favored. I think it should be closer to a pick them. Dwayne, what do you think? Yeah. Against the spread, I'm going with the Titans and I would also go with the over
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is the and you mentioned it earlier. This is the other game. You know, we already talked about the Bills and the Colts. Um, I think this is the game where you've got a really good shot at hitting the over. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we have been through the uh, two top scoring games and now we're back to some defensive slugfest. Bears at <laughs> Saints. New Orleans open as 10 and a half point favorites down slightly to 10 game total holding steady at 48. So this Bears offense does one thing great and that is exist and let Dave Montgomery be anybody's idea of an above average too. If he's placing a bad defense, very good at running back. So I don't, I don't like this. How like every conversation on Dave Montgomery needs to be about how we're fading him in 2021. Yes, like I agree with that. I will be fading Dave Montgomery but give the guy a little respect. Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb—those the only guys that are more broken tackles on carries than Montgomery. And it's a good thing that he was able to do that because man, it's going to be tough against this Saints defense. We talked, or I've been talking about how the Buccaneers and the you know Bills and how kind of the difference between a truly bad or run defense can just be you know who wants to actually put eight plus guys in the box to stop the run and who doesn't. Look the saints have been one of the league's top run defenses and they do not put a bunch of guys in the box. They've actually been a bottom five defense in terms of the amount of runs they faced with eight defenders in the box. So, you know, credit to Cameron Jordan, all those guys on the line of scrimmage, because they can truly take things over without devoting the extra resources to stop it. So, Hey, Montgomery, you know, I mentioned those broken tackle stats. It's not even just on raw volume too. Like he is fourth among 51 backs with at least hundred attempts and forced missed tackles per rush. We're going to need to see all of that from him in this one, because, you know, Trubisky, he's been the worst, quarterback in the league and pff passing grade on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. like at this point in the year i think it's tough to expect more out of this passing game with that said though, we've seen them other than these packers matchups put up 30 points in every single game since Trubisky has gone back from the buy so i'm not saying the bears are gonna do nothing on offense but they've been a team that wants to give the ball to montgomery 20, 30 times as many times as possible the facing defense that has been able to slow that down so maybe we're seeing a, a point where Montgomery can't overcome this matchup. We did see, you know, the Chiefs and uh, there's another team just go crazy on the ground against the Saints. They're not, you know, completely uh, just unstoppable. You know, they've gotten that 100-yard rusher streak they had going on forever. That's been taken care of. But again, cards are stacked uh, certainly against this Bears offense, particularly Dave Montgomery. I am pessimistic about their overall ability to move this ball against the Saints defense. That again is not only great against the run, but they do so without devoting too many extra resources to it. And that's why, again, when I did my most complete team breakdown they are right there with the Rams as potentially the best defense in the league when you want to consider you know pass defense run defense havoc and the ability to tackle Dwayne talk to me about a Drew Brees led Saints offense that we're hoping will have Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara back come Sunday yeah man hopefully they have those two guys
1: back because really I mean Kamara is is really the engine you know behind the offense just because he can do everything and I know running backs don't matter but I mean he just opens up so many different things, you know, because he can, what he can do in the passing game, what he can do, you know, in the running game, Chicago does have a good defense, right. You know, so, I mean, it's going to be a game where everyone it's going to be one of those things where every yard matters. You're going to have to be able to move the ball in every, in every way that you can. Um, and, and again, Michael Thomas being back would be really good, you know, as well. If you look at the bears defense, you know, um, they've been good across the board, but if there is one area that's been kind of exposed over the last several weeks, it really is the secondary. So if you can have a guy like Thomas back, um, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, is, is a, he's a good player in his own right. You know, so if you can have a situation where you've got, you know, Jared cook and Troutman, they're rotating right now, but then you also have Thomas and you have Emmanuel Sanders and you can really be balanced. I think that's what you need, you know, for a bears defense where it's not like you just have, it's not like they have an Achilles Hill where you can say, Oh, we have this one thing and we can beat them. You really need to be able to throw quite a few different things, you know, against the bears, you know, to make it work. But if you look at, you know, new Orleans and what they're good at, they're good at being a really, you know, balanced team, you know, they're going to run the ball about, you know, 45% of the time, they're going to throw the ball 55%. That's pretty much what a balanced offense looks like in the NFL nowadays. Um, And I think that's what they want to do. They want to use play action. They want to use a lot of underneath passing. They'll occasionally go for the big shot down the field, but they're not going to do a ton of that, you know, with Drew Brees. So it is going to be key for them, you know, to have those key underneath weapons. And I think that's why it's so important or it may matter more to the Saints than some other teams, um, because you need playmakers underneath, just because of the way Drew Brees plays, you know, at this at this point in his career, right? You're not going to build that offense around throwing the ball down the field, to, you know, to big-bodied receivers, right? That just isn't the formula for them. So you need some guys that can get the yards after the catch, some guys that can make the tough catches, and I think you're going to need Michael Thomas against the Bears. I think the Bears, um, you know, while they're they're a big dog, you know, in this game, the thing I'll say real quick about Trubisky. Um, he's, he's much better against man than he is against zone. Just like what we talked about with Josh Allen and the saints run a ton of man coverage. Um, they run cover one on 27%, you know, of their plays. Uh, I mean, you've got teams like the lions are at like 40%. The Cardinals are at 40. So they're not, you know, one of the the highest in the league, but then whenever you factor in, you know, how much, um, you know, quarters coverage, which has a lot of man components to it, you know, cause a lot of times that's what we call match coverage, where it's just based off of, you know, you're mirroring a guy, right. It's not just like a true zone play. So 20% of their plays come out of, Come, come out of that. And then you've got cover two man, you know, 5%. That's one of the higher in the league. So overall, like if the saints are going to come out there and they're going to run man coverage plenty. And while they do have some good names in the secondary, you know, they've been prone to begin to get beat. And Allen Robinson, you know, has been really good, you know, down the stretch, he and Trubisky have found their stride. So I think this is a game where new Orleans could find themselves really, especially early
0: in the game, needing their offense maybe more than what this line indicates. Yeah. And to your point, it's not that they have, you know, liabilities necessarily in a secondary, but you know, among 78 qualified corners, Norris Jenkins, 44th, Marshawn Lattimore 55th and yards allowed per cover snap. So we have seen guys beat them when they can not get to those one-on-one matchups, avoid some of that pressure on the line of scrimmage, you know, looking at the saints offense though, I don't know if they're going to be able to push the ball downfield because that's not who they are and it's not who they've been really for the entirety of Breeze' tenure, but particularly more than ever this year. Only Nick Mullins had a lower deep ball rate than Drew Breeze this year. Breeze throws, you know, fewer than 20 yards uh, less often, or he throws more than 20 yards, excuse me, less often than Alex Smith, then Cam Newton, then Jared Goff. All these guys that we like to make fun of that. Drew Breeze is the king of that statistic. So you look at where the Bears are weak and they have had some issues in the secondary, but, you know, Breeze, he is someone that we can actually say might have that noodle arm at this point in his career. We've seen this kind of rear its ugly head when they face the Vikings and teams are able to crowd that line of scrimmage. Can Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray or maybe even Taysom Hill create some big plays in the running game? Because this year, only the Texans, Cardinals, and Bengals allowed a higher explosive run play rate. And you know, we can talk about running backs not mattering. I think that's more of a salary cap thing. I think in the context of a football game, anybody that's getting 15 plus touches absolutely matters. Now, you know, do you want to devote 90 million dollars to running back when you can get someone that gives you 90%? that ability you know for much cheaper obviously that's a different conversation but you know you look at Kamara I think he is the right running back that can make big plays against the defense that we have seen consistently allow them to running back positions so regular season we know the Saints Automatic 10 wins, automatic like top five, top 10 offense. In the postseason, though, that's when things get tougher. It's when they can't get downfield even less than they do normally. I think Alvin Kamara is going to need to be a difference maker. And honestly, like if he's not in that, it's going to be a little bit concerning for their uh, chances. So here we are, PFF podcast, you know, trying to break down the idea that running backs could matter in a playoff game. We'll see what the bosses uh, think of that one. Dwayne, what do you think about this uh, Saints defense trying to slow down Trubisky? I know you've talked about it a little bit already. So just any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's the one thing that could really make this game closer than what we think. You did a good job of outlining, you know, really where, you know, the guys rank from a coverage perspective for the Saints. Um, I think that Trubisky is one of these guys where if he can see the throw, right, and you're not really confusing him, and especially if he's not under pressure, that's where the Saints, you know, the Saints can't apply pressure to Trubisky. But if he has these simple reads that he can make and the coverage isn't great, that's going to give that's what they need to keep to stay in the game. So, as far as like, if you want me to jump real quick while we're here, like, if, if- because we'll go to the DFS plays next. Go ahead. I think Allen Robinson is definitely, you know, in play. I'm not afraid of Allen Robinson at all. Even if Trubisky ends up having a bad game, we can still see eight, nine receptions, right, for Allen Robinson. You know, he's pretty much, you know, he's the workhorse for the offense. Uh, yes, you've got Mooney who can help stretch the field. Yes, you've got Anthony Miller who comes out. Yes, Jimmy Graham only plays like a third of the snaps and still somehow gets five or six targets every single week. But, I mean, the engine for this offense really is Allen Robinson. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, in man coverage, Um, while your completion percentages are typically lower the big play upside is higher because you're against one guy, right? And if, the, if, if if they're in cover one and the safety shaded the other way for whatever reason, because of the way the route combination works out and all of a sudden Allen Robinson makes, you know, Marshawn Lattimore fall down, right, on his attempt to tackle him, you know, he can break off a really long play. So I think, you know, Robinson would be one of my top plays this weekend, you know, as far as DFS goes. Um, he's going to be chalky, you know, pretty much anyway, but I have no problem with that.
0: Yep. Right next to bears uh, DFS thoughts on my notes. I had Allen Robinson can win here highlighted because mainly Marshawn Lattimore, they can get him free from this coverage. He's only spent 8% of his snaps in the slot this year. That's why, and I, that's, that's why I kind of a shadow stats i prefer full game box scores versus you know what did this guy do in his coverage because you know you look at mike evans versus Marshawn Lattimore and oh evans hasn't caught a pass against him this year well i mean he went for 64 yards in their second matchup if, why is that mike evans fault if Marshawn Lattimore won't follow him into the slot and they just cover him with a linebacker or a safety because nfl defense is still in the year 2020 or 2021 now excuse me still can't you know figure out a better solution when a number one wide receiver moves inside so alan robinson at 25 percent, i'm certainly confident that they can't get him away Away from that matchup if it's a problem because i think robinson can win anyway so uh, we'll see what they do there dave montgomery has 6900 i think just based on his touches he should be up there a little bit closer to jonathan taylor you know a full thousand dollars more i get the matchup but hey montgomery second most routes among all rbs this season even if you think the saints are going to blow him out we could get one of those weird 8 10 reception games for dave montgomery he had nine last week alone so just realize that is in his range of outcomes uh quickly with the saints on in, in dfs anything that's popping out to you i know- I know breeze at 57 is pretty cheap but man it's playoff breeze again i, I feel like focusing on these uh, running backs might be the better way to go
1: i totally agree i mean i think breeze gives you the contrarian play and it is a weekend where if for some reason here's what my logic would be like if i was gonna play breeze like and this is more game theory than all this matchup stuff we're t- stuff we're talking about it for some reason the baltimore and tennessee game just didn't explode right the way we think it did then Breeze, you know, he could come through for you, right? You know, he, I don't expect him to throw for three or 400 yards, but Breeze is the type of quarterback that can throw. So he's, you know, he's not likely to get you your bonus that you want, you know, especially on DK, but he could come through with three touchdown passes. Right on just 225 yards passing with you know two of those coming from inside the five. So, I mean, it, from a contrarian standpoint, I think Breeze you know would be in play, but even then, I'm more likely to lean towards if I want to get off of that Baltimore Tennessee game from a quarterback perspective, I'm probably leaning more to I'm probably leaning honestly more even towards Trubisky because I just think he gives me more upside as far as the big plays go, and he also gives me more rushing ability than what Breeze gives you. But that's what that's what you would have to do to go to Breeze, it's really more of a contrarian in play, and you're trying to get off of some of the chalk, and you're trying to differentiate your lineup, that would be the reason for it. Um, as far and you know, obviously, the other component, you know, whenever you look at Chicago, um, you've got Alvin Kamara, I mean, everybody's gonna, you know, he's gonna be chalk, you know, no matter what. Um, but I think, how do you get away from it? <laughs> I just I know. don't know how, I mean, I mean, obviously it's going to be tough but whenever you're making your lineups because you're going to be looking at, you know, I think Derek Henry, right. is going to be the top is going to be the most preferred option, you know, for the weekend. Um, so if you're playing the six games late, I think it's, it's going to be tougher. You know, because how are you going to own both of those guys, but if you're playing three game slate, right. And you're just playing Sunday, you know, Kamara is going to be in those lineups. So again, the the only way you're going away from Kamara is you're just trying to be contrarian and you're hoping that he busts and basically 70% of the, you you can hurdle 70% of the field from a game theory perspective by Alvin Kamara, not coming through.
0: Six game slate gun to your head. You can only have Henry or Kamara. Who is it? Henry. Yeah, I think you're right. On the game prediction, I like what you said about Trubisky potentially over because I do think he does have the potential to put up points. We've seen him since he got back under center, 25 points, 30, 36, 33, 41, and 16. The guy has had legit three top 10 fancy finishes this year. He's had plenty of finishes outside of the top 20, believe me, but he is one of these quarterbacks that we, we at least know does get hot for stretches. So give me the over at just 47 and a half. I think this one's a little bit too low we been getting the under. So happy to be back on team cool right here, but you know what saints, they've been moving the ball even without Michael Thomas. And, you know, now hopefully getting Alvin Kamara back that could change things, but, you know, mention that noodle arm for breeze would be much more concerning if he wasn't playing from the friendly confines of the superdome. So I think both offenses, particularly the Saints. Saints, and underratedly, the Bears can't put up points in this spot. Give me the over. Dwayne, who you got?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the over is the way that you have to go. Um, you know, PFF Line agrees with me on this one, so I won't get screamed at. Um, I'm actually going <laughs> with what our data says. Um, so, I, you know, the thing for me, I'm, if I had to choose as well on the spread, I'm 10 points is a lot, man. Yeah. I, I would lean to Chicago just because as, as good of a team as New Orleans is, right? Breeze can still be problematic right it's not and he's playing a good enough defense that they could force you know some issues for him Um, and they have a good run defense so I mean it's not like you know you know you can just come out here and get 100 yards with Kamara on the ground I see Kamara being a bigger threat you know in the passing game in this particular matchup. Um, and I don't think it's particularly a good matchup for Latavius Murray. So I think it's a situation where I like the over and I think the game, I think the game's going to be closer than where, you know, we've got the, the spread at right now.
0: Yeah. Bears in the football team. I'm like, well, all these things are kind of adding up to take those points, but it just feels so icky doing so. But yeah, if I
1: did have to pick. It's the turnovers, man. If Trubisky turns the ball over, that's going to be the killer. The thing is he hasn't turned the ball over that much against man coverage you know, even when pressured. So that, that's the thing I'm kind of leaning into. Um, and if you look in it, and that's not a just this year thing. That's also historically, you know, with Trubisky, whenever he's been able to play against man coverage, he's done really well. If you put him up against some coverage and you mix things up, he's terrible. Um, so that, that's really what I'm leaning into. But it, it, I think the big thing is the turnovers. People expect Trubisky to turn the ball over.
0: We were rooting for you, Mitch. Put up some points. Fook the haters. Last game. Thank you guys always for sticking with us here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We got the Browns at the Steelers. Pittsburgh open as three and a half point favorites as up to minus six, potentially influenced by the news that coach Kevin Stefanski is on the COVID list and will not be available for this game. And also all world guard Joel Batonio, who is PFF's number six ranked guard will also be joining him on the sideline. Cadero Hodge too, just not quite as big of an issue for Cadero. No offense to him. Best part of this all, Browns offense even without Petonio though, is this offensive line. PFS number one offensive line in both team run and pass block grade. Again, Petonio number six ranked guard, but look, we still got Jack Conklin, PFS number eight, highest graded tackle. Wyatt Teller, the number one guard and center JC Tretter, who is number four ranked center. So, you know, Hey, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, you know, these guys are special enough out there in the open field, but it's this offensive line that has been making things happen all season for this offense. And thank God they have them, man, because obviously Every quarterback is going to be better unless you got, you know, just a weird kind of small sample size when they're kept clean versus under pressure Baker Mayfield. Again, I keep going back to this list because we actually have a few qualified guys this weekend, Tom Brady uh, and uh, whoever the uh, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield is also on this list of just the most pressure sensitive quarterbacks in the league. He is 26th in PFF passing grade and 27th in yards per attempt when he's under pressure this year, when he's kept clean, he's seventh and 13th respectively. So Mayfield, you know, he can go back there, make his reads, get the ball out before pressure things are great. Dude has a freaking rocket for an arm. We saw that like 80-yard Hail Mary out the back of the end zone. There isn't a throw on the field that Baker Mayfield can't make. Just realize if the Steelers just historically great pass rush can do what they usually do and that is make life hell for their opposing QB could be a long night for Mayfield and his passing game. They're going to need this offensive line to instill their will. I would think on the ground at a minimum they need to try to keep that pass rush away from Baker because again that's when things go south from Baker when he has to start trying to work outside the system and without his coach they to potentially calm those nerves and put a get better game plan in and once they have to adjust and it is concerning to think how this Browns offense will be moving the ball. Dwayne Steelers, not Mason Rudolph that was not the answer. We got Big Ben back. What are you thinking with this rematch?
1: Yeah, man, we know what the Steelers want to do. They want to throw the ball and they want to throw the ball and they want to throw the ball. And really you know, the way they look at their running game at the, at this point, you know, it's just the short passing game. is just, it's an extension, right? That's their running game. Really. Um, they could care less about running the ball. They're also not very good at it. <laughs> you know, their run blocking is one of the worst in the league. I'm, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it's in, I want to say it's in like the bottom five. So it's not, it's not like it's something they can really do well. And neither Benny Snell nor James Conner has looked that great. So while Ben Roethlisberger's had his challenges, um, you know, I think that is the way right for them to go. And I don't see them changing, you know, anything this weekend. I think they'll fully run the offense through Ben. I think they'll throw the ball 65 to 70% of the time, unless they're just happened to get up right. You know, by a ton of, by, you know, 10, 14, you know, two scores, right. They get up by two scores, you know, they may dial things back, you know, in the second half of the game. Um, So I would expect, you know, Ben to throw the ball plenty. Um, Cleveland has been susceptible, you know, in the secondary. So I think the big thing for me, like, you know, with the Steelers is like get, the ball, you know, to chase Claypool more. He's actually their highest graded player by PFF right now on offense, but he's the guy that rotates in and out the most, right, between Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and him. I mean, yeah, he has reasserted himself over James Washington. We had a couple of scary weeks there where all of a sudden James Washington was the guy getting to be out there more. But, I mean, if you look at week you know, 16 week, 50, sorry, weeks, 14, 15, 16, and 17. There's still more to be desired. I mean, 58% of the routes, 67% of the routes, 85% of the routes. That was week 16, which was really great week 17. Obviously they rest a guy. So you don't even really want to count it. He was out there for 52%, but he saw 11 targets this past week. He was the guy that got really more of the work. Um, So Claypool's a guy that we need to see more of. Um, and he's a guy that's pretty much, you know, Ian, he's a mismatch almost against any corner, right? Really? Because he can, he can stretch the field vertically. He can win 50, 50 balls. Is he the best, you know, route runner? No, but he can still work underneath on crossing routes. And he's great after the catch. You see him trying to get him involved in the running game. I think they've just got to figure out ways to get Claypool the ball more often. Um, but this will, it's, The offense is going to it's going to fully run through Ben and I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anything less than Ben to have, you know, 45 to 50 passing attempts this weekend.
0: I think Claypool's reached that like Metcalf territory where it's like throw this guy the ball. Down the sideline at least five times a game, no matter what. Fun stat from uh, PFF's own Anthony Triash: the most defensive pass interference is drawn on deep targets in a single season since 2014. Number one was 2014, Torrey Smith catching those long balls from Joe Flacco or drawing the pass interference. Number two with seven, Chase Claypool in 2020. Nobody else. Torrey Smith and Chase Claypool wow. most deep defensive pass interference is drawn. Thank you to PFF Anthony for that one looking at this uh, Browns defense and what they're going to be able to do. It's, the story of this game is going to be Havoc and it's a fun stat. Uh, okay, we can just use Havoc as, as a descriptor, but in college football, I've seen the stat thrown out and I've applied it to uh, the playoff team. So Havoc is your ranking tackles for a loss or no game, plus forced fumbles, plus interceptions, plus batted passes and deflections, plus pressures divided by plays. When are you causing Havoc somewhere in this game? Number one, Steelers by far and surprisingly, the top seven teams are all playoff teams, not the Browns. They're all the way down to number 21. Not an indictment on Miles Garrett. He is fantastic. Only Khalil Mack Joey Bosa, TJ Watt have a higher pass rush grade than Garrett. Also been fantastic against the run. The problem is we now have no Olivier Vernon, who's done for the season, I believe, with an Achilles injury. And look, I mean, this is the f- fourth worst defense in Fields tackles for a loss or no game, just 19th in total pressures. They struggle to create negative plays to put offenses behind the sticks. And against the Steelers team, that all they want to do is consistently throw these short passes, maybe once in a while get a deep run to Chase Claypool. That's not good. That's something that we should be able to see Rossberger and company take care of if they can get back to being just that middle of the road offense. So, you know, Browns, maybe they step it up in the playoffs, but now they're losing pieces of a front seven that was already struggling to do exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So unless Miles Garrett goes freaking super sane on these guys, I am concerned about their ability to stop this short passing game. If the, if these uh, receivers can't hold on to the ball and do what they do best now is pick up yards after the catch. So we'll see there. Dwayne, Steelers defense. Where do you attack these guys? Because it's hard to find a spot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the cornerbacks are the most susceptible, you know, spot and they're not bad, <laughs> but it, you can't, you want to stay away from the middle of the field because Minka Fitzpatrick is really good. Um, they've got a great pass rush. They play good against the run. I mean, if you look at their defensive ranking after being adjusted for opponent, they're number two, according to PFF in the NFL. Um, so I, it's, it's just a tough situation. You know, you, you've got to be balanced. Because you can't let them just tee off on you. Because T.J. Watt, um, Hayward. I mean, all these guys—they're all great, you know. So it's—it's it's, if you look at their front seven, it's going to be. You're, there's no way you have a game where there's not a mismatch or two that they gain just because they have so many good guys up front. Like even guys that a lot of people have never even heard of, like Chris Wormley. Um, you got Cameron Hayward, Tyson alu who was a former first round pick, like however many years ago from the Jaguars. Like he's the perfect fit for what they do. I mean, all of these guys, you know, are grading in the high 80s and the low 90s, you know, from a PFF grading perspective. You know, if you look at the pass rush for TJ Watt, you know, he's one of the best in the league. He grades out at a 90.4. So you have, and here's the good news for the Browns. Balance, right. They have the kind of game plan that if they can, as long as their defense can do enough to keep them from falling behind, that they can keep the Steelers off balance. Right. Because they have two really good running backs and Chubb and, you know, in Kareem Hunt. They have a good offensive line. Yes, they're going to have issues like you mentioned this weekend. They're going to be missing some guys. But I think we've seen this type of offense, you know, um, this type of scheme, be able to still run the ball even without elite linemen. Right. We've seen it for years from Shanahan and Kubiak and some of these other guys. And that's where Stefanski, you know, comes from now. He, I know he won't be on the sideline, but this is still firmly. You know, this is his scheme. It's dude. It's crazy. Like how many you know, landmines, the Browns are having to like try to overcome over the last three weeks of this season. And what, you know, is really their best season in a long time. It should be this really happy story for fans. Like they've really had some misfortune uh, with a lot of the COVID stuff and then the injuries. But for, you know, for, um, you know, the Browns, I think the, the real key, you know, in it's not a situation where you can just say, hey, I'm going to go just attack this. I think you have to be balanced. You cannot let the Steelers get into a situation where they know all they have to do is pass rush Baker Mayfield, because, you know, you mentioned some of the splits and everything earlier. That's a, that's a big problem. That's a recipe for disaster. So you got to be able to run the ball. Um, you're not going to get some of the gains that you're used to, but Chubb and Hunt, you know, I mean, they're good enough players. You know, if you give them a crease, you know, they can make more out of it, but I think the play action is is really where it's at, you know, against them. That's, that's how you're going to have to set things up so that you can take some shots you know, on the crossing routes and some of the deeper routes down the field against some of these cornerbacks, which, you know, they're good. But if you compare them to the other players, you know, on their team, you know, that's really going to be the best matchup that you're going to get.
0: Yeah. Moving on to some DFS thoughts and quickly to your point about just that pressure coming from everywhere. You are right, my friend. I mean, you look at just the top eight guys this year in pressure and the Steelers freaking have TJ Watt, number three, Stefan Tuitt number four, and Cameron Hayward, who's tied for seven. So it's not just TJ Watt. They're getting that interior pressure coming right up the gut as well. And because of that, it's just hard for me to get behind this Browns offense, man. Again, the one crypt tonight, I mean, for the passing game is particularly my issue because the one Crip tonight is pressure. Steelers do it better than anybody. And now the Browns, amazing offensive line is going to be just a bit less amazing without Petonio in there. So I'm largely going to be fading this, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield in the passing game Jarvis Landry, you know, he's got five uh, plus catches and five straight games. He has cemented himself as number one without OBJ in the picture. Some might even argue with OBJ in the picture. He was on his way of doing that, but that's a story for another day. So staying away from that passing game. And I would just say it's a little bit like, uh, Similar situation in the Colts, because if you have Nick Chubb at 6,700, Kareem Hunt at 4,800. Obviously, Kareem Hunt, you know, higher ceiling or, you know, should have a higher ceiling than Naeem Hines with what a Hunt really brings to the table as just an early down back as well. But, like, just ask yourself, where do you think this game is going to go when you're making these lines? Because if you see the Browns winning, okay, then we probably see Nick Chubb, you know, get his 15, 20 carries, find the end zone. But if we see them losing, like last week, Hunt literally outsnapped Chubb in negative game scripts. So, I do think, you know, Hunt sitting down there at 4,800, if if you're looking at this spread seeing the Steelers favor by a touchdown Kareem Hunt is probably the preferred play over Nick Chubb if you expect that to play out so hey you know weird things have happened Nick Chubb as we saw last week can always take 45 50 yards to the house just like that and you know just like you were saying earlier with the wide receiver getting loose uh, just just takes one run to make us look like an idiot for talking about fading the guy but I do think there's a potential chance to leverage away from Chubb to Kareem Hunt with this game expected to go the Steelers way Dwayne what Steelers pass catcher are we focused on? Cause I know you're not going to tell me to focus on James Connor. <laughs> yeah, we haven't Deontay even mentioned, Johnson. we haven't mentioned a Steelers running back in like 15 minutes and nor should we. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Deontay Johnson. I mean, if you just look at Deontay Johnson with it, so it's the perfect storm, right? He's handling a lot of the short targets. Now Juju still gets his, but he, he gets, he sees more than Juju. It's an extension of the running game, but he can also still beat you deep um and we know that the Steelers are going to drop back and pass the ball a ton you know so I mean just counting the number of times like that Deontay has had over 10 targets you know this season I'm not going to bore everyone and do it but I mean it's all the time if you just look over the last several games he's got 7 11 and 14 and we can throw last week out right we we know that was basically a lot of backups in the game even though he was out there for 90% of the routes you didn't have Roethlisberger um so I mean more often than not, this guy's seeing ten targets, and at sixty-two hundred dollars, I mean, that's just too low, in my opinion. You know, Deontay Johnson is a receiver that really deserves to be priced like more up around the seven k, especially on a smaller slate. You know, like this, if you're playing a three game or playing a six game, a six-person slate. Um, you know, and he's going to be really popular, but his his salary is so good, right? It's really going to be hard to not have Deontay Johnson, you know, in your lineups because he can typically pay off on that price point.
0: Yeah, I'm already on record. 2021 Deontay Johnson is 2020 Calvin Ridley. who was 2019 Chris Goblin. You heard it here first, everybody. Now for the game predictions. I'm going to again be a loser and take under 47 here. Far too many concerns with Baker versus the pressure. And look, Big Ben, this there is offense. While I see a path to victory, you know, against a banged up Browns front seven. I mean, we have seen what? Two quarters of this, the offense looking good over the past really four games at Ben's under center. I mean, even looking past that, I mean, 19 points against the Ravens, 17 against the football team, 15 against the Bills, 17 against the Bengals, and then finally Ben, you know, so he took over play calling in the second half put whatever it was, puts up 28 against the Colts. So even if we get that performance out of him, I think expecting, you know, a similar, just high scoring uh, output from Baker Mayfield and company, asking just a little bit too much. So give me under 47. I think these lines are a little bit inflated on the total. We'll see. uh, We'll see how right I am on that next week. But uh, Dwayne, what are you feeling here?
1: Yeah. If I had to pick, I would go with the over, but it's not like a bet that I love. Right. I don't like the under, I don't like the over. Like if I had to pick one thing about this game, um, That I liked the most it's probably taking the line you know I would take you know Cleveland and the points Um, just because the Steelers offense has shown that it can just come out and just you know tank (laughs) you know I mean if you look at their offense adjusted right for their opponents they rank number 32 by PFF so I mean they can really have problems and we've seen them do it against even some bad defenses right I mean it started all the way back with the Cowboys you know, in the middle of the season and all of a sudden it's just carried through. Now, yes, they were able to just magically turn it on and they were able to put up all those points against Indy to make that great comeback the week before. But outside of that, I mean, really, when's the last time we've seen this offense really play well, you know? Yeah. Is there going to be volume for the receivers? Yes. But are there going to be a ton of touchdowns, you know, from this team? I don't know. I don't think you can be real confident about that. I think that teams know what Pittsburgh wants to do. There's no element of surprise in what they do. And I think that just makes them really vanilla, no matter how bad the defense is that they're facing. If you're predictable in the NFL, the guys on the other side of the ball, they're still pros, right? There's only so many of us on this planet that can be pros. That means you're really good, right? So I think it's just a problem. I think Randy Fickner's a problem. Um, You know, I don't know, maybe this is just what Ben wants to do and that's why they're doing it. But I, I hate their scheme. Like, I literally hate it. You know, I have no problem with throwing the ball a lot. I just, you know, they mix, they don't use play action at all. Um, They don't use a lot of things that really create, you know, advantages for their offense. It's pretty straightforward. A lot of underneath stuff, the opposing team can just sit on it. And so that makes me just, you know, a little bit leery, right, of saying, okay, yeah, I think the Steelers can come out here, you know, and really cover the six points.
0: Six points is a lot, Dwayne. I think you have uh, swayed me here. If I could retroactively go back, I do like the Browns plus six. That's a good explanation by yourself. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back on uh, Friday with 10 questions with the Ringers' Danny Kelly and then back next week as well with some more game previews. But before you get to those, please go follow my friend Dwayne on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane. You see him on Twitter as Context Matters because guess what? Context does matter in everything in life, particularly fantasy fantasy and real life football. Dwayne, you got anything on the docket this week? Or are you just kind of pod and keeping it loose after a 17 week grind? Yeah, dude, I'm keeping things pretty loose, but uh, we're going to have uh, tonight on the fantasy football hustle.
1: We're going to have, um, you know, the two time champ back-to-back champs of the, of the football guys players championship, which is a 10,800 man tournament. He's won it t- two years in a row. He's finished first. So he's got 750 K in his pocket. And we really want to know how he's doing that. So uh, if you want to hear more about that, you guys like some of the high stakes season long type stuff. We'll have that on the fantasy football hustle tonight.
0: Always great stuff from Dwayne and Brian Drake on the fantasy football hustle. You can check out that podcast at FF hustle on Twitter. That'll be a great conversation for sure. That's going to do everybody. Thank you again for listening to PFF fantasy football podcast. He's Dwayne. I'm Ian. Hope you have a great rest of your wild Card week. until next time. Take care, everybody.